25. We can start in, you can start in like. No, the verse is 31. Well, yeah, but that's the other one. Which one am I supposed to read? No, you can read that one. 31 through 46. Go for it. Matthew 25, 31 through 46. So the chapter, well, let's just start with like, let's start. The chapter this week is about you and the stranger, so the God who turns up the heat. So in which you meet a stranger and learn that your eternal destiny may well be based on something you either forgot to do or you forgot you did. And so it talks about three different parables kind of back to back in this one. We can read all of them or... We're, not going We're just going to read one of them, but basically the first one is around um, the bridesmaids missing out because they were shopping for more lamp oil, and so then they like missed the whole wedding, right? They got shut out of the church and didn't get to go. And then the second one is around um, businessmen who two of them took and invested their money, and the other one buried it in the sand. Obviously, yeah. he got and inevitably gold. got fired. Um, and then the third one is probably one we're all very familiar with around um, the sheep and the goats. And John's just going to read it. It's Matthew 25. You were going to read it. Okay, I'll read um, it. But one of the things that is note is pay attention to the tone of this um, parable. Go. Um, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in, or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? The king will reply, Truly, I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes, and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison, and you did not look after me. They also will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or sick or in prison and did not help you? He will reply, Truly I tell you, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. Then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. Okay. So we've all heard that, I would assume, if you haven't. Cool. It's a great parable. Um, what are some of your first, like, responses or thoughts about that parable? You have anybody have like something that jumps out at them? I think it's interesting that he separates them before he tells them why he separates them. Mm-hmm. It's more convicting than <coughs> I want it to be. <laughs> Fair. Fair enough. Mm. 
those who are hungry, to seize, visit those who need visiting. And yeah, it, I'm sure we all feel like we don't do it well enough. You know, it seems like such a simple thing to do. I think it's so, like, as John mentioned the week before I read, around, like, the tone, it's a very stark difference on goats versus sheep. Very, like, you are now going to eternal, you know. This is judgment. Right, like, it's literally your judgment today, it seems like. Well, it's, it's kind of neat. Well, maybe not neat, but, like, the first two parables that we didn't read, um, as he points out in the book, yeah, the bridesmaids, you know, the good bridesmaids knew that they were going to be at the wedding. You know, the bridesmaids were going to be at the wedding because they were at the wedding. They didn't leave to go look for lamp oil. You know, the businessmen who invested their money knew that they were going to be in favor because they had all of this stuff. But this parable is like this weird stark difference between this idea that, like, you can be doing what you think is right, but you also aren't doing, could potentially aren't be not doing what you're right. You know, Jess. <laughs> yeah. No, but like Jess said something, it's like, kind of like what you said is like, we all, it's so simple, but it also comes across as like being really hard. It's like, how much is enough and how much, like. Where do you draw the line? Yeah, where, isn't that what you said this morning? It's like, where's this like, Oh, so I give money to this poor person. And then you drive six blocks and you see another one like It's like can I do you give more money? Or like you might help one person but then you don't help the many. And so how do you balance that? And I think what we talked about and it's underlying in this parable is around like actually I don't think it was in this parable, right? The the whole component around having faith. Oh yeah. That's later, but oh, yeah, I'm jumping ahead, sorry. It's all good. Oh, good. That like somebody else is doing it for the kingdom, that they will pick up that person that you didn't, that you have in the past or whatever. Yeah. So like in this, there were like three observations that he pointed out in the book, and and that I thought were you know pretty basic to this parable, of kind of the idea that like first is like serving, uh, serving those in need is serving Christ. You know, it's like this idea that we are all created in the image of God. So when you are serving your neighbor, you are serving Christ. Um, the second thing was, um, let's see, okay, a little bit of uh, Like Jesus directly identifies himself as the poor and the sick and the home, like those thirsty and the people in need. You know, when I was, you know, was as the verse says, you know. Um, when I was sick, you looked after me. When I needed clothes, you clothed me, kind of deal. And then third, uh, in the par- the parable, he kind of talks about like uh, it's pretty much like the theme of all scripture, kind of compiled into like one parable to some degree. Um, you know, it's it's kind of this idea that there is no like litmus test there is no like you know at the end of the at the end of the day no one is you know jesus isn't saying hey so you guys will be blessed and you guys will join the kingdom of god because you went to church seven times you know during this time or you know you you took communion every week 
and you know like there's not this like litmus test for it it's all about this kind of you know as I was reading it's like almost this weird ambiguity that's not the word up ambiguous yeah it's like this big like broad paintbrush that is like okay it makes me a little worried about his tone because it comes across as being to some degree kind of angry <laughs> I think it's like this church like we're growing a church family growing to be like Jesus and it's very much an example of if you individually like you should be also be growing to be like Jesus just because you go to church doesn't mean per se that you're growing to be like Jesus so that's like a checkbox right versus actually living out your life in a Christian lifestyle one of the things on the second observation in the book that I really loved was they talked about Jesus kind of, you know, his solidarity for the invisible people, which is like makes you put context of everyone around you, friends, family, stranger or not, in that context of seeing them as an invisible person. Are they? And do you see Jesus in their life? And how do you see Jesus through them? How do they see Jesus through you or through their lens, right? And so I think being solidarity with invisible people is just a whole different lens, I think, to think about with all the different groups of people around us and who's invisible and who's not in your world, I guess, would be a challenge back to think through, like, are you are you skipping by somebody at work? Are you skipping by somebody outside that you pass on the sidewalk? Because they're just in quote-unquote invisible to you but they're obviously not invisible to Jesus so how does that change your perspective on the day-to-day we were um, at a church in West Tennessee and the sermon um, the preacher started with the scripture from the Sermon on the Mount and I don't remember the verse but um, where Jesus said you know you prophesied in my name, or even though you prophesied in my name, and you've cast out demons in my name, and you've spoken tongues in my name, I will say I never knew you. Right. And um, he, you know, said this is this is really heavy. This should really shake us. Well, what do we do with this kind of scripture? Because it doesn't say that they didn't do those things in his name. It says that they did these really good things in his name. So then he goes to First Corinthians again. I don't remember the verse, but he goes to First Corinthians where Paul specifically mentions those things again and says, but if you do not do these with love, it's nothing. Um, and so... Which I think is very much what this yeah. whole chapter is about. Well, I think it's like, it's also like Jesus's corrective way of going about his people. Like, he's speaking these words to his intimate like, disciples and his like, friend group. He's not speaking these words to the masses. You know, it's not the Sermon on the Mount that comes across as it's. And so, like, he's arguably being, being a little bit more, maybe a little bit more harsh in tone or a little bit more trying to be a little bit more convicting. The same way that, you know, I would make sure that Claire doesn't stick her finger in the light socket. You know, I'm going to be like, hey, look, you know, like, no. You know, and I might even startle her and scare her, but hopefully my point has been made. You know, like that's not a good thing to do. And I think sometimes in this verse, it's 
or like in this parable, he's coming at it from a, a point of like, I want you to love your neighbor, but I also want you to understand that just loving, like just having faith is not going to get you there. And just having, you know, works isn't going to get you there, but you have to have this like mesh of kind of both of these things together. Um, and so like, you aren't paying attention to the poor, you aren't paying attention to the sick because what you're doing is you're making sure that you are prophet, you know, you're gonna say, hey, you prophesied my name and what, is, you know, and Jesus is gonna be like, I can't call you brother, <laughs> you know, I can't welcome you into the kingdom. And, and so for me, it's like this really convicting passage that just says, whoa, he's being more corrective, maybe out of love, you know, I know earlier in this chapter of this book, he kind of talks a little bit about, you know, the bullhorn Jesus people that stand on the street corner and, and scream and yell at you about going to hell because, you know, you're standing on the street corner in Nashville. I don't know, like, <laughs> see them all the time downtown. But, uh, you know, but it's, they're not coming at it from a point of love. They're coming at it as a point of, like, warning, you know. But where Jesus in this setting He's coming at it from a point of love where he's like, hey, I'm being harsh, but I'm also loving you. And I'm also like wanting you to kind of like come along this journey with me. At least that's kind of my first thought and inkling uh, that comes out. Um, it is kind of weird. I, I noticed that it, it kind of when we jump into like this idea of like, what all that looks there's a lot of bible verses that talk about faith and works and you know because you have like ephesians um two you want to read that babes ephesians two eight eight and ten By grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So, I guess this was kind of weird, because it's like this idea of, like, that talks about how faith is what saves you, but then, like, in the parable of the goats and the sheep, faith isn't even mentioned at all. It's, um... And so it's like this, almost like that, does that contradict or whatever. Um, but then um, James 2, 14 through 17. You want to read that one? Sure. Um, what good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or a sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, it is not accompanied by action is deep. So I kind of feel like this is kind of this, James is kind of putting all of those things, kind of sandwiching this goats and sheep parable and this Paul talking in Ephesians and kind of putting them together and just kind of being like, hey, look, 
this is how this works. And so in a weird way, they're all on the same page um, in this meshing of what our faith has to be. Um, I'm just going to read this because I liked how it was worded. James, Jesus, and Paul are on the same page when it comes to showing that our faith is demonstrated through the way we treat vulnerable people. However, assuming that because we serve the poor, we have earned the right to eternal life is just as foolish as assuming that the increasing number of candles on your birthday cake is making us older, or that standing on the bathroom scale is making us heavier. There may well be a correlation between positive between positive pregnancy tests and uh, gravity, but babies do not come from blue lines, just as obesity does not come from bathroom scales, and maturity does not come from counting candles. The link is not casual, but uh, indicative. The same is true for good works and saving faith. There is a link, there is a link but the first does not cause the second. Rather, saving faith is indicated by good works, um, just as we can also, just as we can know a true prophet by their fruit, and a wise builder by their longevity of their buildings. So we we can know a true believer. Uh, know a true believer says Jesus by their response to the needy, or serves Jesus by their response to the needy. So it's kind of this idea of like they correlate in such a strong way but one doesn't cause the other and the other doesn't cause the other that doesn't make any sense but you know what I meant um, and so like this idea of like God being um, being like a stranger to us is really interesting of this idea of like what you know how do you get saved and all that mess um, as you go through thoughts nope cool <laughs> I wasn't sure if you want to add to that well I just think you know actually they always say actions speak louder than words right so I think the whole point here is that like you can't just have faith if your actions are not good for it and that God is all around you and in every single person just back like back to the individual indivisible people it's what are you doing about it just are you really who you say you are do you really believe what you say you believe if your actions aren't following that same behavior yeah well and that's kind of this idea that jesus also led by example you know he you know he fed the hungry crowds of people he you know, clothed naked people. He, you know, he didn't cast judgment on people based on their, you know, race or their, you know, ethnicity. You know, it's whether they were Jew or Gentile. He just, you know, he didn't, you know, I think in the book it says something about like, you know, he, he healed a group of lepers. You know, he heals the group of lepers, but, you know, only one of them really repents. So it's like he, it's this really broad stroke. It's not like, hey guys, you know, I preached this awesome sermon, all of you come forward, I'm going to forgive you guys of your sins and heal you, but all those people that didn't come forward in the, you know, invitation, they're not saved. He, you know, it was like, 
he casts these big broad strokes because that's the way this grace works. I think I can be um, kind of paralyzed by the amount of need there is. Mm-hmm. Like giving to someone, dropping six blocks, there's another person dropping two blocks, there's another person, you know, like there's a constant need. And I think I get paralyzed by um, the fear of not doing the right thing. And even though giving to the first person is the right thing, but what if the second person needs it even more? Or what if the first person is going to... What if the first person's always gotten everybody? Always gotten everybody? What if... I mean, <laughs> like... I yeah, I mean, that, like, I... And so then I end up just doing nothing because I just... I think too much about it. Instead of just acting, I just think, like, oh, I want to make sure that I'm doing the right thing. Even though it's always... No matter which option you choose is the right thing. But I want to be sure it's the right thing, not that the other two are the wrong thing. I don't know. It's so hard. This is how my brain works. Is I just want to make the right decision, and I want to, you know, do the best that I can do, and and then I just end up doing nothing because I'm I'm constantly trying to figure out the right thing. So I think like your heart's in the right place, which is what well, it's all like. Maybe. I mean, yeah. I mean, it is. No, I mean, I And so, like, even though, I, you know, like, well, but no, but I wanted to visit, I wanted to be part of the prison ministry, but, you know, I saw what it's like, and, um, you know, but what if I need to be doing this other ministry, and then and then end up doing nothing, then even though my heart is wanting to serve or wanting to give, and then I end up doing nothing, then that's not good, because I'm letting the fear or the, of the unknown or the whatever get in the way of action, and that's not faith, or that's not trusting it's, well, it's I, a perfect example of the book. I think that's a common, yeah. what you're saying is a very common thing. And I, and I do feel like kind of, kind of saying the same thing is that we, we discount what just very small and simple acts of kindness can do. Because we, we want to make, we want to have this dramatic effect and it be a life changing. And it might be life changing, but it might just be your, your, your assistance, your service might just be one small crumb on the way that leads to something better. Mm-hmm. And and again, you know, I, I, th- I think, again, we all, guilt is not necessarily a bad thing in my mind. It's learning we turn it into something positive. I mean, we should, when we read this, we should feel maybe a little guilty. But again, don't let, don't be bound by that. Use that to spawn. Convicted is probably a better word. Yeah. Because it is, it should be convicting. It should be, it should spawn us to action. And again, we're, I think where we, most people, not all people, some people have a great ability to do this, is that we, again, we, um, we let that conviction or that guilt pull us down instead of turning it into just the small things. I mean, I'll be really honest. I think the reason it's convicting for me is because I don't have the right heart for it. And I don't mean to, for that to sound as horrible as it does, but <laughs> my office is sandwiched by the bus station, the National Rescue Mission, and room at the end. And so our street and the street that runs perpendicular to ours is 
chock full of homeless people. And we want to love on those people, but those people damage our vehicles, they, you know, come in, walk in our doors, totally out of their minds and acting crazy. And don't get me wrong, like, I, I think myself and my coworkers want to love those people and we want to support the rescue mission and we do and, and support other things that are going on there, but it's really easy, I think, just where I go every day. And like, I mean, these people have purposefully, like I, we've been driving on the street and they'll jump out at you and we had one slam into one of our server's cars and purposefully damage it and they yell at you and yell mean things to you and yell at you as you're walking in your office. And so like, being in that environment every day makes me really quick to have a really hard heart towards these people. Mm-hmm. And that's terrible. Like, I'm, I'm not justifying my hard heart, but I'm, I guess that's why this is more convicting, more convicting for me. And I don't want it to be because I would rather be mad that they pooped on the back of our food truck. <laughs> I'd rather be really pissed off about that. <laughs> so, yeah. I think one of the really interesting paradoxes, we always talk about paradoxes that we're supposed to live in as Christians, is that the most vulnerable people in the world are often the hardest people in the world. Sometimes they're the cutest, most innocent people in the world, you know, like I work with, I work in orphan care, so that's common, but they're often the most difficult, the most impossible, the most hard to figure out, the most difficult to help. That's one of the incredible things that we're supposed to live in. And so I don't think that the your anger or your frustration is un, unmerited. I don't think that it is by any means like, un, um, you, you shouldn't be ashamed of that, I don't think. I think, but I think that that's a good, a really good voice to have speak into our lives because so often we can sort of um, idealize the oppressed and the vulnerable as a, a kind of people group who's always victimized and always this and always that. And we need to live with the reality that um, the people in the world that we're called to love are the hardest people in the world to mm-hmm. love. And like that's a really good, that's good information to have when you kind of try and wrestle with this together. Because, you know, in my daily life, I live in East Nashville, so, you know, we, we see them on the street corners and they're selling papers. But I don't, I don't have the experience that you have in like really acknowledging how difficult a certain kind of people are to love. And so it's just as important for you to speak into my life and say, yeah, this is really hard, this is really difficult, these are the realities of these situations, so that I have a better understanding of the fullness of these people were all of these types of people that were were called to love. Your voice is just as important as anybody else. Well, I think that's why, like, it's just as, like, like, when I was talking about, like, seeing people as individual people, like, like, the, through your lens is very different. Like, those homeless people, a lot of people see them as indivisible, right? Like, or invisible, like, but, like, you have a very different lens than you have, than I have, than John has, than anybody in this room has on homeless people. Everyone's going to come at it from a different perspective. And I think that's the beauty and the, and the challenge at the same time of, of why it's so convicting. It's because there's so many different lenses. And I think everybody has their own story. Like, I don't know why they're angry. Like, why, like they're homeless and they're angry. Like, 
could you take them to coffee and figure out more what, what's going on? Yes, you could, but you don't want to, and I rightfully wouldn't want to either when someone's acting like that. There's a coworker of mine that I shared a desk with, and like his response to everything is anger, and that makes me shut down because I'm like, I don't know what to do with you. I don't know how to handle. I'm trying to help you. like. But when you make outbursts, I'm like, I'll be over here if you need me. <laughs> but it's like at the same time, like I feel like like I'm I'm very much an empathetic person. So like I know he's going through something. I just don't know how to help and make it better and still love him and care for him. Like you know, like a good Christian neighbor would do, right? So but I think it's like. Same, At the same time, example. being convicted by this also shows like your heart in the fact that it is hard for you because you want, in a way, you want to help but you can't. You know, because that's how I feel a lot of times. You know, I work downtown most of the time. I have homeless people walk in and destroy our bathrooms. Literally, just you know, we have public restrooms, so they'll literally rip paper towel dispensers right off the walls, or you know and the stuff of that nature. But it's one of those things that I have had to like kind of understand that like me just having that space is part of me loving them and me allowing them that space. And even if that means I have to go replace paper towel dispensers, you know, once a month. Or air freshen everything because they just outside and bring it all inside. Yeah, but just having that space or just having, you know, to allow them to have that space. And that's not me directly, affect, like I'm not ministering to them or I'm not doing anything, but I'm just, you know, kind of like what you said, Lincoln, of like this idea of like these little bitty small seeds. It's like my speed may just be that I'm, I have a space that they can come and sit, you know? And, and someday, then, maybe, maybe that someday is that, compassion that you show, maybe you will be able to speak into their lives a little bit at some point. It might take months or years, but it might happen. But again, it's just, it's, but it, but I think it's that ability to suffer it because again, I mean, you know, we're kind of told like, what, what does it count to you? It's easy to love the people mm-hmm. that look like you and talk like you and believe like you, but there's no challenge in that. I mean, anybody can do that. But Wait. the challenge is to love those people. The tax collectors do that, right? And that the, <laughs> right. the verse they, but I think like another example for John, like other than just the space, but like John and now myself when I go down, like we know all of their names. We talk to them like we talk to any other customer. We don't treat them any differently. Yes, they have different attributes about them. Yes, they tear things up. Yes, they're and weird. And we have the conversations <laughs> with them when it's appropriate to have a conversation where it's like, hey, why did you right. tear that down? Like, right. And, but you treat them like you would treat anybody else who would have destroyed something or been destructive. Like, So I think that the environment that you're creating is welcoming, welcoming them in even though they are arguably the invisible people, right? That... But at the same time, Mary Nell, sometimes you can't. It's very loud. (laughs) Sometimes you can't. But, like, I think, back to your point earlier, Lincoln, I think it makes a huge difference, those little things, like saying, hey, Randy, how are you today, versus just walking by and no one noticing him. Right. Like, I think those those are the little things, like, that didn't take anything for me to do that. Or a smile. I don't think (laughs) they're immune to, just like we, it takes us a while to gain trust to really to, to talk to people on 
on any kind of beyond a peripheral level? I don't think they're immune to that. I don't think they're immune to. Hey, but I'm not going to be like bothered by that. You know, full confession, pride is my greatest challenge in this because I don't want to feel like I was hoodwinked by somebody. I can remember, you know, I can remember as a very naive, probably 22 year old when I first came to Nashville. I worked, I parked, worked downtown, but I parked across the bridge over where, like, basically the cotton stuff you remember about. And it was kind, it was not uncommon for us to get confronted by people. And you know, at first I was like, oh, yeah, man, you know, they give me a sob story. You know, I didn't have much money, but I'd give them four dollars or five dollars or something like that. And then somebody pulled me aside and said, you know, like they're probably just going to go buy liquor with that or go get drunk or something like that. And I was like, oh, I just hadn't really, like it was, we didn't really have homeless people in my little town in Mississippi. Now again, we had poor people, but we didn't have people that would literally come up to you. And so it was like really new to me, like maybe I'd have read about it in Bible Bible class, but it was really a new thing. So I'm just saying like, for me, I almost wish I could, I could just share and not even think about what it'll be used for or whatever. And, and because again, there's a part of me that thinks you're not helping them by enabling them, potentially. But then there's a part of me that thinks. You do you. I, you do it, and that's, that's between them and God what they do with it, you know? I mean, again, I, I, that's a. That's that paradox. I mean, that's that. I mean, again, I'm just being honest. I mean, it's just. I, no, I, 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 I'm actually jealous of people that can truly just give and not even. Yeah. I'm the exact opposite where I'm like, oh, $2 for you? $2 for you? Like, right. Everybody, I don't care what to do with it. Right. But if somebody where I like go to is like, I think about it, but it doesn't bother me because I'm like, right. they clearly have some sort of mental instability right. habit, something that's driving them to be out there asking that they need help for. Right. Whether I'm enabling them to do that or showing them kindness because I'm trying to help them. But when people ask me for food, depending on where we are, I will take them to a restaurant and buy, like sit right. them and buy them food, not give them money. And that's why people have always like, said A lot right. of those type of things. And sit with them and have a meal. Like, cause, right. like a lot of times, like homeless people I've ran into downtown, restaurants won't serve them because they are loud and they smell and they destroy things and blah, blah, blah. Like they don't even give them the time of the day. And that I just totally disagree with. And so I go in and they I'm all like, pay okay, I wanna, I wanna order a burger, I wanna order this, like, and it's gonna be for this person and I'm gonna sit here with them and then they get whatever they want, which is like disturbing. <laughs> like, why does it take like a normal person right. to, be their to help somebody get food right. when they're clearly hungry? I know, again, but, but as, a, as a businessman, I kind of, I, I mean, again, I mean, this is, I, 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 full admission, just, I mean, it, this, you We know. should live in a van, sell everything. <laughs> this is why, like, we, so, John and I, a while back, so one of my passions is, like, um, women who are, like, enslaved, like, whether it's with drugs and um, sex industry, like, whatever it is, right, like, that's one of where I, like, like to dive in so like a while back Otter Creek hosted um, the event with m several of those different vendors and they came in and they showed us a video and it was sponsored through Thistle Farms I don't know if you guys have seen it but it's on PBS and like 
it shows you the lens of Nashville through their lens and how they get around and go around. And that just like, just want to go pick them all up. And so now like, we drive through places and I'm like, you think that lady's in trouble? Like, do you think we should like go talk to her? And we did that. My girlfriends and I did that in Tullahoma, probably a month or two months ago now, where we were across the street at a coffee shop, a gas station on the other side of the street. This truck drove up, screaming, shouting, yelling, and we were all obviously got all of our attention. Like, and then all of a sudden, this woman in her suitcase gets out, and the truck like speeds off. And I was like, that doesn't look good. And the, she's sitting down on top of her suitcase in the shade under some trees now. And I'm like. We need to go talk to her. Anyone want to come with me? Like, And so me and one of the girls went and talked to her, and she was just trying to get her life back together and like was sick of how this guy was treating her and trying to stand up for herself. And she kept running into the same windows where it's like, if you have smoked your whole life and then tomorrow you quit, everyone who knows you is going to still associate with you as you're a smoker, even though you've quit and tried to move on. And that's where this lady was in her life, where she's like, she's done a lot of bad things, but she's been clean and sober, and you know she has a job. Like she, you know, she's trying to get her life going the right direction, but everyone in her life isn't supporting her to do that. And so she was just beaten and battered and broke down. And she asked us to pray for her, and we gave her money. She didn't want it. We wanted to make sure. We said, "Is he coming back? Like, do you have somewhere to go?" She wasn't ready to go to the shelter because we offered to take her there, and she knew I think that's where she would end up but she wasn't ready to go and so just one of those things where you see perfect example of an invisible person that like everyone just drives by right like and to me I'm like oh my gosh is she like trafficked like right where I just think those things automatically like what's like I just look at everyone and it's like what's your story like but that's being aware I mean that's not and just then driving down the road I just want to inject this little thing from a pastoral standpoint, since it's pertinent to the discussion. I think you guys, paying off the debt at our church is not like a sexy thing. It doesn't, but the thought of what that money can be used for is, is a very exciting thing. And I just want to share this, that I mean, there's a lot of really real things. I'm so thankful for Dwayne and his that we're looking to do some really positive things in this area. So again, you know, if you're a part of our, you're going to be by transfer, a part of that. I'm just saying I'm, I'm really pleased that we're looking, you know, Josh has spoken from the pulpit about, what's he doing? Spoken about, you know, that from the front. We, we really, we, we've been very, you know, conscious is we don't want to spend that money on ourselves. Except that it enables us to do something else. So more fun. I'm just saying that I'm, as a church, we are aware that you know we're. I feel like we're making really positive action yeah. instead. I sent Dwayne a whole lot of dreaming. Yeah, <laughs> I, I think like I said, I, like I said I know there's a we've been getting kind of reports of different like committees and stuff like that. But there there are a lot of people thinking about these things that how can we make differences because I think some of that is too just like Susan was alluding to like some of it is like you just don't know how to right. or where to go exactly. or what to do like right. yes I can give five dollars to this person but then back to your point is that really helping them or are we just enabling them for whatever they're using the money for and so I think our one of our 
opportunities are to figure out and streamline the how to give back or how to help or how to, you know, like, can we offer a quarterly homeless people dinner, right? Or like those types of 